Hello, Parkview. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors responsible for discipleship among the next generation. And it's so great to continue our series uh, in this new kind of renewed vision that the Lord has been leading us into. And uh, let's remember so far where we've been, right? Kind of new, new language. Language in terms of uh, culture change in a church, language is not everything, but it definitely is something. And uh, especially if you grew up in any families that had like kind of slogans you threw around and stuff like that, you'll know that those things do stick and those things do change the way you interact. I saw online recently, uh, one family slogan is always there, always to care. And so I was like, okay, I hope that's true. I hope they cared for each other. I bet you they did. Because if you keep talking and saying stuff like that overall, uh, it changes kind of practices. So it's not everything, it is something. So we've changed some language, right? Uh, in terms of who we are, we glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's what we want to be tomorrow, so to speak. And then what we do today is the mission. We're a whole church making whole disciples of Jesus Christ for the good of all people. And so far... We've asked a series of questions, especially if you've been following along in the booklet, right? Uh, part one, or question one was, why do we make disciples? And the answer was, the glory of God. Oh, fantastic. Okay, God's plan is to glorify His Son Jesus through a redeemed people, right? God has a number one agenda item on His task list. And it is to see more and more men and women know, love, treasure, and be thrilled by Jesus Christ, God the Father thinks Jesus Christ is the greatest, most important person in the universe. That's what it means that Christ has glory. And therefore, he wants more and more men and women to know that glory. And so that's his plan. So we want to just jump in on that and all the awesomeness that's happening. Okay, second thing we ask then is what is a disciple? That's the second conviction. And it's really important for making whole disciples. We have to answer what is a disciple. And we looked at Matthew uh, 11. Where Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And he says, and then learn from me and I'll give rest for your soul. So we emphasize that learning is the core theme of what discipleship is all about. Being a disciple of Jesus is you're a learner of Jesus. And it doesn't mean academic brain knowledge that you download, but it means that head, heart, and hands are all transformed. We learn Christ in terms of certain convictions from God's word about Jesus that we embrace. It transforms our hearts, loving Jesus, and then that kind of then flows through our hands in terms of practical living like Jesus in the way that we interact with one another and make disciples for the good of all people, okay? So whole disciples, meaning all of life, all for Jesus, learning Christ together. So here's the question this morning that we need to answer as quickly as possible. If God's glory is to see disciples made, then how do we make disciples? What's the process, the means, by which God rescues people from sin and puts them into Christ, and then as they're in Christ, grows them into maturity in Christ? What's that process? What is the stuff we might ask, what's the stuff that we need to do to be responsible for if we're going to see more and more people here, every single one of you, grow up into Christ, and then our neighbors and our family members, etc. What do we need to do? And uh, according to the New Testament, it's actually pretty clear. There's a consistent pattern through the New Testament, and uh, the language we're using now from this point forward, our prayer as a staff team has been, this is a flag in the ground of, of further new languages. We're called the 4P ministry. 4P 
ministry, 4P ministry. So in fact, we're going to get really weird and awkward. We're all going to say it out loud, okay? 4P ministry on three. One, two, three. 4P ministry, okay? That is how disciples are made, okay? Now, we're about to talk through them, and it's going to be no shocker, okay? All this is, is we didn't find some fancy thing that, oh, this church in Alabama grew to 7,000 by doing these seven cool things. And we're like, cool, if Parkview does those seven things, shazam, we'll grow to 7,000 as well. We just looked at God's word, and there's a clear pattern, and it is this, okay? It's the patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. The patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. Patience, praying, proclamation, people. Those are the four Ps, and they're all over the New Testament. In fact, um, again, we didn't invent these. This is just given to us as a pattern in God's word. We could go to Colossians 1, 28 to 29. We'll look at next week Ephesians 4. It's all over Ephesians 4. Wow. Um, We could go to Romans 10. We could just go through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts basically is what happens when 4P ministry just goes viral in the church. And uh, so we could go any really New Testament, uh, core New Testament text. Today we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 to 10. So you can flip open in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10. And, uh, and we're just going to have some serious 4P ministry fun this morning. And in this passage, especially if you look at verse 4, it's already been read for us, right? Paul is saying, I have confidence. I know that you're beloved of God and that God has chosen you, that by his mercy he has chosen you, not because of anything good that you've done, but just his sheer glad-hearted mercy that he gives to sinful men and women. He's chosen you to be saved in Christ. And then the rest of the passage from verses 5 all the way to verse 10 is basically Paul giving evidence that God really has chosen them, that these Christians in Thessalonica in the first century are authentic, real deal disciples of Jesus Christ. And so really this passage becomes nine verses of God speaking to us on what, what, how are disciples made, what's happening as disciples are made. And we'll see the theme of the 4P ministry just emerge as we study God's word today. So here's the big point I want all of us taking away, okay? There's one thing you grab a hold on, here it is, okay? If Parkview Church is going to be a whole church making whole disciples of Christ, then every single one of us, every single one of us needs to be responsible to live out 4P ministry to those around us. Every single Christian, if you are in Christ by faith, have received Jesus Christ, what we're talking about today is not some like secondary level up of the video, Christian video game, okay, where you're a Christian and then it's the super Christians level up to like level seven and now Shazam, 4P ministry. No, if you are a Christian, no matter if you became a Christian yesterday or you've been a Christian for 23 years, What Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, expects of you and calls you to is to be a 4P minister to those around you. And that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to think through the four to five to six people in your mind right now. Think through four to five, six people who are closest to you, that you love the most, that you kind of come into most regular contact with. Think about those people, okay? Four, five, six people. And really the big point is simply this, from 1 Thessalonians 1 2 to 10, is that Jesus expects you to help those five to six people take the next step 
toward Jesus, toward, toward Jesus through 4P ministry. That's what God calls every single one of us to do. Whether they're your family members, they're your spouse, they're your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever it is, Christ has called you, wherever you are, whatever location, to do 4P ministry. That's what he expects of every Christian. So the passage has already been read. I won't reread it except just the last, two ver- uh, last sorry, three verses, 8, 9, and 10. 8, 9, and 10, and then we'll pray. For not only has the word of the Lord, listen to this, right, sounded forth from you Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now that is what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to learn from your word. We're excited for every person here by the Holy Spirit's power to be equipped from your word to see themselves as a disciple maker and to be convinced that you use the patient, prayerful proclamation of your word by people, ordinary people like us, to advance your kingdom purposes. Would you convince us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, so we can be a healthier, growing, vibrant church, and honestly, so that we can just be happier humans. How miserable to just be, have the blah, blah, selfish Christianity where I'm saved by Jesus, but then I sit around and do nothing to help others. How boring. None of us really want that. We want full octane, awesome Jesusness where we're loving him by the Holy Spirit and we're sent out to make disciples through the four Ps. So do that now in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, as you can tell, hopefully, I'm just super, super pumped about this. The reason why, again, nothing new here. Hopefully there's no shockers here of like, wow, I'm expected to pray for other people. I never knew that. I'm expected to share God's word. Okay, hopefully there's no, no shockers here. But for me, when I was in college, okay, uh, this just was the game changer. This happened to me where 4P ministry kind of just transformed my life. There was an older man. I went to Wheaton College outside of Chicago. There was an older man who was getting his PhD in the New Testament. And he just had a heart for gathering young men together in small groups. And what we did every Thursday night at 8 p.m., there in the Anderson Commons, which is the cafeteria at Wheaton College, uh, we sat down around a table and we really just did four things, okay? We remembered the gospel, okay? Proclaim God's word. Uh, we prayed for one another, prayer. Third, we encouraged one another as men in the Lord, okay? There's that people focus. Uh, and then we just did that over and over again, week by week, over a long period of time, for three years in fact, And it was one of the most spiritually transformative experiences of my life. And I didn't know at the time, the reason why was because my mentor, the man who was discipling me, had become so convinced in the New Testament, as he was studying things uh, in his own life, that this was God's way of growing and changing humans, growing and changing Christians. And so I was just personally just amazed by how much I grew. And then through that, just became convinced that this is what ministry is all about as you study God's word. So here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you again to think through, maybe on a piece of paper, write it down. Who are the four, five, six people in your life you come in close contact with on a most regular basis? And I want you to, again, think of them. And throughout what I'm hoping to do, we're going to look at each P in 1 Thessalonians 1. And we're going to pause at the very end of each P. And the application, I want to apply this throughout, but get very simple and practical. I'm going to ask a question or two from each P 
And you're going to basically, in your mind, by the Holy Spirit's help, start applying how you can start living out this disciple-making ministry with those four, five, six people that are around you in your life right now. Okay? So let's look at the first one. We make disciples as God's church here at Parkview through the four Ps. The first one is we must persevere patiently in God's time. Persevere patiently in God's time. Notice both the start and the finish of this passage. Verse 3, Paul's praying and thanking God and remembering God. Remembering before God, you're the triad, right? You'll notice this in all of Paul's letters. He'll always be celebrating God's work because of their faith in Christ, love for one another, and hope in Jesus. And here it is again. Faith in Christ, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Other Bible translations might say endurance. Okay, and then look down in verse 10. You are waiting for God's Son from heaven. So Paul is saying, right from the get-go, beginning and end, top to bottom, he's saying, here is real disciples of Christ. And the reason I know this is because you have hope, steadfast, endurance, perseverance, patient hope in Christ. And at the very end, he says, you are waiting for God's Son. Now, we don't have time, but the whole letter of Thessalonians, one of the key themes is how as Christians, as we wait for Jesus' return, we must do so and persevere patiently, step by step, to continue to be faithful in what the Lord's called us to, no matter the difficulties, because God, disciple-making, happens in God's time. Not in our time. Now, I get it, right? We live in Amazon Prime culture. And when I order something, it better be on my front porch within the 13-minute little window they said it will be there. Or else they'd be better be dropping a drone or something if it doesn't arrive on time, right? We get impatient if something doesn't come within the two or three days that we order it, okay? Now, here's the deal. God does not function according to Amazon Prime timeline. Okay, he functions most of the time. God in your life is not working out his purposes in seconds and minutes. Most often, God does his work in years and decades. Especially the work of making disciples. As we think of those four, five, six people, maybe some of them are a few kids that you love who continue to reject the truth of Jesus that you have been telling them over and over again from love of a loving heart and they keep not resisting Christ and just feeling overwhelmed with sadness and you feel like you might be just a total failure as a parent or you have a friend who continues to be stuck in the same sin over and over again and a few years have passed now and despite your best efforts in gentleness and kindness to confront them and say you need to deal with this sin by the mercy of Jesus Christ, they're still stuck in it year after year, month after month. And again, you feel this, like, this feeling inside of just wanting to give up. But what the Lord calls us to is that waiting, that patient steadfastness, that persevering step by step. Our job, our role as Christians, is to keep being faithful time and time again to do our work as we trust God to do His work in His time. I know that some of us right now feel so discouraged, again, as you think of those four to five people and you feel like you want to throw in the towel. That is Satan speaking to you. What Jesus speaks to you is to get up tomorrow and be faithful. And the day after that, to be faithful. And the day after that, to be faithful. 
to keep doing the things. Galatians 6 says it like this. Let us not grow weary in doing good, especially to our fellow Christians. Some of you want to throw in the towel. Don't do it. Keep being patient step by step in God's time, in God's way. Okay, so here's the question. Think about those four to five, six people. The Lord has called you to have spiritual influence in their lives. Where right now do you need to be waiting patiently, step by step, persevering over time, in God's time? Okay, or we could flip it more negatively. Where are you tempted to throw in the towel, just to give up in this person's life? Remember that God is at work in his time. You are called to be faithful, to be faithful. And what are we faithful in? That leads us to our second piece. So we're making whole disciples through the patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by people. So let's look at the need for prayer. Patience and prayer are twin sisters in disciple making. What do I mean? Well, what you'll notice is that you will have weakness and impatience over those people in your life as you think of those four to five, six people. Most of the time, they're probably not skyrocketing, skyrocketing into Christian maturity day after day. And so what can happen is this kind of, despite your best efforts, this kind of felt weakness, this despairing, especially if you're a parent or a spouse or a close friend and you see them and it feels like they're not growing or maybe you're not growing at the rate that you wish they would or that you expect that they should. And one of the things that's been helpful for me is to keep uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 very clear in my mind. Where Paul's talking about his own ministry as Paul, the legendary Apostle Paul. He's making disciples. He's explained to the Corinthian church. He feels discouraged. He says, in our ministry, we almost despaired of life itself. Have you ever experienced that? Almost despairing of life itself. But then he says this, but that, that felt weakness was to make us rely on God who raises the dead. For some of us here, God is going to put weakness into your life that you cannot escape and that you cannot change through your clever planning. And the purpose for that is so that you and I can actually learn how to pray and depend on the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. I mean, just look at the big picture of this passage. Okay, Look at how much God is doing in this Thessalonian church in the first century, okay? Beginning with verses two to three, Paul begins with prayer, giving thanks to God, constantly in prayer, to God the Father, for these Christians, because of their faith, hope, and love. But how is their faith, hope, and love produced? Because of it's in Christ Jesus. Do you see that last phrase there in verse three? And then in verse four to 10, Paul continues to emphasize God's role, God's work, in making them faithful disciples. Verse four, God has loved them. And has chosen them out of sheer mercy. Verse 5. The Holy Spirit. Our gospel came to you in the power and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit ignites faith in the hearts of those to receive the message. Verse 6. These Christians then became imitators of Paul and of the Lord Jesus. Christ being the one who is the mature example of what faithfulness to the Lord looks like. Verse 6. Then in the midst of their suffering the Holy Spirit gives them joy to receive God's word. Verse 8. The word of the Lord sounds forth so God gives his word to be proclaimed. Verse 8. God, Faith in God is an example to other believers. Verse 9. He's the true and living God who strengthens people to turn away from sin and idolatry and to him. And then verse 10, 
all kind of coming to the crescendo of Jesus Christ, the one who is sent from heaven to deliver us from the wrath of God. Now, why have I emphasized these things? It's because of this. Because Paul understands, and what every single one of us as Christians need to get clear in our mind, is when it comes to a faithful, healthy, growing church, it is ultimately and fundamentally God who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. But he chooses to use us as partners with him through prayer. God is the fountainhead from which all ministry activity flows, whether in the church or at home with your kids or with your spouse or with your coworkers or with your friends, wherever it's at. So here's what I propose. Let's right now, let's change our vision statement. Are we okay with that? Let's change our vision statement away from not that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ, but that God exists to glorify himself by making disciples of Jesus Christ. God is the primary active agent in making disciples of Christ. And he uses us through the means of our prayers to accomplish his purposes. It's a clear New Testament pattern. You could go to Colossians 1, Ephesians 1 and 3, Philippians 1. The whole book of Acts is basically the story of how God makes disciples through humans who choose to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, Acts 6, Acts 9, Acts 16, etc., etc. This is summarized in 1 Corinthians 3. The principle is very clear. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. The human activity of disciple-making is not the fundamental thing, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3. But only God who gives the growth. Parkview, if we're going to become a growing church, and I hope all of us here as members of this church long for our church to grow. If we want to become a growing church, we have only one option moving forward. And it's to become a praying church. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Brothers and sisters, if we do not continue to take steps into becoming a praying church, Parkview will become a dying church. Because fundamentally at the core of any healthy growing church is the power of the Holy Spirit through the prayers of God's people. Now I want to have a time of just encouragement because I see on Tuesday morning so many of you from East Campus logging on 7 a.m. to that Zoom week after week after week after week, praying those faithful prayers of the Lord's power in this church, I want to celebrate you. And at the very same time, I want to exhort those of you who aren't, could you join us for Tuesday a.m.? Maybe that doesn't work for your schedule. Wonderful. Grab three or four other brothers or sisters and find a time on Saturday morning that works. Whatever it looks like, okay? It doesn't have to be one of our, or not mandatory, but fixed prayer times as a church. But where... Are we scheduling time for prayer? And that's our second question. As you think about those four, five, six people whom you want to see God's work active in their life, here's the question. How are you structuring your time every week? How are you structuring your time so you can devote yourself to praying for God's power at work in their lives? Okay. One example of this that I've noticed is there's a staff member at Parkview Church and he spends 
uh, the first 30 to 45 minutes at the beginning of his day praying for everyone kind of under his, under his ministry team. Okay, Now, here's the deal. I get it. Most of you are not pastors, and so you don't get paid because we're paid to pray. We are. Uh, so I get that. Okay, But some of you, you can arrive to uh, work four minutes earlier and spend those four minutes praying. Some of you can end your day 10 minutes in prayer with your spouse. Others of you can pray with your kids for three minutes before they go lose their brains and do whatever the awesome kid things they want to do. We can all figure out ways that as a whole church community in our private, personal lives, we can continue to rely on the Holy Spirit power. Okay, So disciples are made through the patient, prayerful proclamation by God's people. That's the 4P ministry that he calls every single one of us to. Let's move to the third P, proclamation. Proclamation of God's word, again, probably no shocker here. For disciples to be made, for people to grow in love for Christ, learning him, loving him, living him, you have to have your Bible open or at least a Bible in your heart that you're speaking the truth of God's word to one another. Ephesians 4, right, talks about speaking the truth of Christ in love. Now, Paul's seeking to point the evidence of God's work in this congregation. He identifies two things, okay? Now, notice this is really cool. Notice two things here, okay? Two evidences of disciple-making, okay? There's receiving the proclaimed word and then giving the proclaimed word. Look at verse 5, okay? God's word proclaimed is received by the people. Paul says the gospel he proclaimed came not only in word, meaning logical content that's understandable, but also in power and Holy Spirit and full conviction. That these Christians understood that this is a reliable word from God that can be trusted. Full conviction from the Holy Spirit's power. And then Paul says in verse 6, what's he say? You received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. So here they're receiving it. Then the word is sounding forth from them in Macedonia and Achaia, surrounding regions of that uh, uh, Greco-Roman place. So in the Christian life, in the life of a disciple, there ought to be a receiving of God's word some way in your life. There ought to be a habitual pattern of receiving God's word. And then there ought to be a pathway in every faithful Christian where you are proclaiming God's word to those around you. Think again of those four, five, six people the Lord's called you to serve. We receive God's word. We proclaim God's word. Okay, I love seeing this right now in our college students. Uh, Gabby is a co-worker of mine. Gabby and I are trying to train our college students to know God's word, receive God's word. And what's been so exciting is to see right now, I just respect our student leaders in our Parkview College ministry so much, okay? We just heard a recent story. This is one of several, okay, where one of our college students this past Friday, one of our leaders with one of his roommates uh, met with a new freshman they met a couple weeks ago, and they sat over McDonald's late at night. That's what happens when you're college students. You go to McDonald's, you eat food late at night. And there they are sitting across from this table. This new freshman basically says to them, I don't really know what I believe about God. I don't really know what God is like. And so this college student leader and his friend began talking to this guy about Jesus Christ. The word of God received the word of God proclaimed. And it happens in so many different ways. It happens as you spend three minutes as a family reading three sentences of a psalm and then praying. It happens uh, in your personal life as you are opening God's word or listening to God's word in the car. It, it can, community group, Sunday morning, right? The word of God received and then looking for opportunities for the word of God proclaimed. But here's the question I want to ask, okay? What exactly, what is this word that we are to proclaim? 
Verse 5, look down with me, says that verse 5 is the gospel proclaimed. And then verse 6 says that's the word. And then verse 8 says it's the word of the Lord. So if we combine those, the word of God is the gospel word about Jesus Christ. Verse 10 is a summary statement. Paul has a lot of gospel summary statements throughout the New Testament epistles. Here's one of them. Paul says, Jesus is God's son, sent from heaven, raised from death, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is, in one sentence, a summary of the entire Bible in a nutshell. The biblical story is about God's good world, God's word. Here's what the God's word is about. God's good world, twisted by human sin and rebellion, and therefore is under God's just anger against all wrongdoing. His wrath being that steady opposition to all forms of evil. And at the very same time, simultaneously, God offers to the world good news in his son, Jesus Christ, that by sending his son into the world, he rescues sinful men and women from sin and judgment through the death of Jesus Christ, where he takes upon himself God's wrath for our sins so that those who turn from their wickedness and sin and receive Christ might experience the freedom that there is no longer any fear in your Christian life that at some point God is going to chuck down a bunch of judgment on you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel word we proclaim. Here's why this is important. Because one of the things I've noticed being a Christian for many years now is something happens when Christians get in groups together. And you've probably noticed this. And one Christian's like, I'm really struggling with an at, my attitude towards my boss. Okay? There's the, the problem is presented by a Christian. What normally happens is Christians then begin to lob good advice. Well, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about this? Maybe you should have healthier boundaries. Maybe you should have uh, more wisdom in your relationship. Maybe da-da-da. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. Through this. And what we never get around to is trying to connect that person's problem to the good news of Jesus Christ. The New Testament pattern of faithful Christian membership in a local church is that when you have your young daughter who is suffocating in anxiety or you have your friend who continues to struggle with that sin, or you have your mom or your dad who's suffering, whatever it looks like, and they come to you with a problem, what they most need, first and foremost, is not a pep talk of good advice. They don't need further commands from God or rules to obey. Now, those are certain helpful things at different points. Don't hear me what I'm not saying. What Christians and what non-Christians need, everyone needs, most of the time, all the time, is the oxygen mask of the good news of Jesus Christ, of what God has done through Jesus to deal with this problem. So back to the attitude, there you are, you just shared. There's my problem, okay? What I would recommend as a pastor is begin asking questions of this person to discern what's going on in their hearts, and discover the deeper problems going on so that you realize I'm angry with my boss because I feel like he doesn't recognize me when I'm doing a good work. Well, if that's happening enough, maybe it's because, now again, there's all these nuance and caveats. Okay, I get that. But if you are so focused on your boss approving you all the time, what your heart really needs is to know the approval of Jesus Christ. That's just one example. There's a gazillion more. 
But what we need to do as a church of Jesus Christ is what Paul does is what throughout the whole New Testament is what the whole Bible is about. The Bible is not God throwing down good advice upon our messy, crazy, chaotic, sinful lives. The Bible is good news from a father about a son who took care of all the wrath that we deserve. Therefore, that's how we need to speak to each other. So getting really practical, think of those four to five people, six people, right now in your sphere of influence, the Lord's calling you to disciple, help them take the next step towards Christ to learn Christ. Here's the question I want you to think about. What aspect of the good news of Jesus Christ do you need to speak to them right now? That is the word of God that we are called to proclaim. What aspect of the good news of Christ from God's word do you need to speak, proclaim to them right now? This past week, in full honesty, I had one of those moments. You all have experienced this, I guarantee, right? Where Satan did his classic move, which is a copy some event that happened in my past that I'm uh, ashamed about, he did copy, paste on my brain as I'm driving to work. And I'm just feeling so discouraged. I just felt bummed out. I felt just like a total spiritual loser. And uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there I am, just oh, beginning of my work day especially, woof. And so what I did is I called Doug Fern because I love that brother, uh, and I delight in him so much. And I shared honestly, hey, bro, here's where I'm at. I feel discouraged. I feel under attack. Can you pray for me? And he prayed for me. But here's what he did, though, is he spent maybe a minute and 17 seconds max reminding me about something that he's been learning and enjoying about Jesus. He's like, remember, Wade, about Christ as he draws near to you in the midst of this battle. And it was just, it's all I needed that day from the Lord himself to help me take that another step towards Jesus, to walk in faithfulness, to rid myself of all those guilty, sinful shame that we're burdened with. That is what we all need. We're all struggling sinners in different ways. We don't need helpful advice, primarily. At certain points we do. We need good news from Christ to proclaim. Wonderful. Okay, last thing is people. This is very quick because next Sunday's sermon, the who of making disciples, that's uh, part four, right? Who is gonna talk more about this. But here's the deal. All of us, God's people. Notice that the fourth P, it does not say patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by pastors. It says by people. Because the normal, average, everyday, humdrum Christian life is every single one of us, if you are in Christ as a Christian, you're called to be an example of faithfulness to Jesus and to proclaim his word. We've already seen that in verse 7. It says that this church has become an example in their faithfulness to God. Verse 8, the word of God is sounding forth from them. But the thing I want you to notice is look at what they've become an example of. In verses 9 to 10, it says this. Notice this, right? What exactly have they been examples of? Not their increased morality or their greater spiritual discipline or their hard work ethic for Jesus, although those things are awesome. They're examples of fundamentally of living a life of repentance. Did you notice that? They turned away from idols and turned to serving the living God and waiting for Christ. Parkview Church, what are hypocritical, self-justifying, abusive world needs most are humble, honest Christians who can take the mask off 
and throw it in the trash and actually begin admitting and confessing where we are struggling with sin so that we can, James 5.16, pray for one another and experience the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's the final question. As you think of those five or six people and you're called to be an example of Jesus to them, the question I want to ask you is this. Are you living in such a way that you're demonstrating that you're a person in daily need of the mercy of Jesus Christ? Are you living a lifestyle of honest, open repentance so that any struggling sinner can look at your life and say, I have hope in Jesus as well? If they can take a step towards Jesus, however stumbling, fumbling, foibling way they do it, I too can do that, turning away from idols to serve the living God. So there you go. We're a whole church making whole disciples of Christ, 4P ministry. 4P ministry, we're all called to it. The patient in God's time, prayerful in God's spirit's power, proclaiming God's word, all this done by God's people as examples primarily of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So, I think we have an elder coming up. Is that true? Elder Len, is he not just a magnificent man that we love and who is walking forth in 4P ministry and just love you, brother. So he's just going to come up and just give us an, an ordinary way as how he's living out 4P ministry that we can all look at and then make application to the four, five, six people the Lord's calling you to make disciples of through 4P ministry. Thank you. Wow, thanks, Wade. You're a dear brother, and you challenge and encourage me and model all this so well for me. And yeah, as, I, as, I, as I was asked to do this, I, I, I told them, well, certainly there's someone here who does it better than I do. Uh, I'm challenged by Jay. Where, oh, there's Jay. Wesley, you challenge me when we get together. Uh, Aiden, when I see Aiden do discipleship, he challenges me. And there are others too. But I am still learning it. Here I am, 73, and I'm learning about being a disciple and discipling others. Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks, huh? So, but um, for most of my life, being a seminary graduate, discipleship meant teaching large group Bible studies. I did that for most of my life. Very rarely one-on-one -on -one kind of things. But from those four Ps, I just began learning that and realizing and remembering again that discipleship was a lot simpler than coming up with this huge Bible study. It's just simply people patiently, prayerfully, proclaiming God's truth. Now, in, in, since in, in, lately, here's the three ways I've been trying to apply that to me. First, the big word is I have to be intentional because it's not a habit of my heart yet to do this. It's very easy for me. I'd love to talk about airplanes and other things like that, but I have to be intentional thinking about okay, I'm gonna, I need to talk about Christ now. So that's going to be the big word, intentional. First of all, I'm intentional about meeting with my community group. 
There we do the four Ps with each other. And if you're not in a community group, I really challenge you and encourage you to get in a community group. Another thing that uh, I'm involved in is I'm intentionally meeting with some young men. Actually, they invited me to do it. But that's been a great blessing. Here I am, 73, and I'm meeting, spending time with 23-year-olds. Discipleship ought to be intergenerational. The third thing I'm trying to do intentionally is, when, is really revolving around Sunday morning. So it, intentionally, through the week, I try to prepare myself for Sunday morning by like, studying the text, praying about the service, uh, praying about someone to sit with or to talk to. And then when I get to church, before I walk in the door, at least I try to do this, is I try to refocus, get my mind off of myself and, and think about, okay, pray, Father, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to sit with? Who do you want me to pray with? And I try to start thinking that way. And then after the service, I'll intentionally try to talk with someone. Now, that's really difficult here at East Campus. It's hard for me to find someone who's not talking to someone else, which is a great thing. But I look, I look for opportunities to pray with or to talk with people about the gospel or whatever. So we can easily make discipling way too complicated. Uh, Pastor Wade read a quote at um, our last elder meeting that I'd like to read that just reminds us of who we're cooperating with. We're cooperating with Jesus. Jesus is the one who's doing it, and he allows us to cooperate with him. And, and Wade wrote this from, from Pastor Ray, Stedman, Ray said this. The quote is, the risen King Jesus is creating a new world. He is no less than the second Adam launching nothing less than a new human race, building nothing less than an eternal Garden of Eden. At this very moment, Jesus is sprinting through our exhausted world, gathering up despairing sinners left and right, breathing new life into them and having a blast doing so. So here, that's the same for us. So let's, as we follow Christ together, using the four Ps, let's have a blast in doing so, okay? Thank you.